Hello and welcome to Let's Farmanize. I'm Cal Vandergrift. I'm Shane Gerritsen. And I'm Mickey Ferguson. And today we're going to talk about animal medicine. And did you know animals can use medicine? No. They can. All that and more on Let's Farmanize. <laughs> I already like this episode. is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. Alright, so we were talking about ACE inhibitors earlier in our other segment. What's an ACE inhibitor that chimpanzees can take? I'm gonna guess. Benazapril. Banana prill. Gorilla prill. It's fake. It's a joke. Okay. That was so so bad, Shane. The history of human medicine goes back. Let me. That was the driest humor that we've ever had on this podcast. Okay. Yeah, it was bad. I know. It's the intro, though. So, history of human medicine goes back as early as 60,000 years ago in archaeological excavations of medicinal plants like opium and cannabis. But it's theorized by medical historians that humans have been using herbalism, that is, plants as healing agents, even longer, even millions of years ago. In many cases, it's believed that humans developed early medical understanding of plants and medicines through trial and error. But humans weren't the only ones developing an understanding of medicine. Can you guess who else? Elephants. Giraffes. Animals in general. But today we're going to be talking about primates. That's right. As you may have guessed from the title of this episode, we're going to discuss some animal species who have developed their own forms of rudimentary medicine and self-treatment. Roll up your sleeves, strap on your pith helmet, that's those cool safari hats, because we're going to the Gombe National Park in Kagomo, Tanzania. My sleeves are already rolled up. Because it's 90 degrees in here. They're even further rolled. Richard Rangham, British anthropologist and primatologist, was working with Jane Goodall at the Gombe Stream National Park, a diverse and lush island accessible only by boat and home to hundreds of species of bird, primate, snakes, lizards, wild cats, countless other animals, insects, and flora. Jane Goodall, as you know, has been studying primate behavior and social activity of chimpanzees for 60 years. She's the preeminent advocate for conservation and animal welfare with a focus on her research with chimpanzees. Richard Rangham was a student at the time working with Goodall at the Gombe Stream National Park when he began noticing a peculiar behavior among the chimpanzees. It was around this time in the 60s and 70s that primatologists were beginning to form an understanding of chimpanzee facial expressions. Chimpanzees are, as we know, incredibly smart and expressive creatures. I'm sure you guys have been to the zoo, the North Carolina Zoo, and seen that the chimpanzees, they've got a poster at the exhibit featuring chimpanzee facial expressions and what they mean. Have you guys seen that? Is that at Ashboro? Yeah. The Ashboro Zoo? I personally have not, but that sounds extremely interesting. It's cool, and they've got one by the gorillas, too. They're, I don't know if they're as expressive as chimpanzees, but they've got like little diagrams of what their faces look like and what they mean. Gorillas just always look pissed. Like they're not. They're never like chimpanzees are nice. They have like nice like, changing facial expressions. Yeah. Gorillas are just like oh, always trying to fight. A gorilla. Yeah. So their expressions are a little bit different from human expressions. For example, when we smile with our teeth, it's usually pretty friendly. It's associated with laughing. Whereas in chimpanzees, a similar expression might be associated with fear, distress, or even anger. I was gonna say. I thought they show their teeth when they're like mad. Like yeah, dogs. yeah, they can do that too when they're angry or, or it's typically it seems like a negative though. Wait, that's what that means? 
What? My dog shows me his teeth all the time. You know, when they're like clenched and they're like, Arr. Yeah. When they're like it's that? It's cute. That means they're upset. Oh. <laughs> Poor that's dog. What, that's what I thought. When feeling contented, or particularly when eating something that they enjoy, like figs, berries, or honey, they'll eat socially, share with select members of their family. They're kind of picky about that. It's funny. But Rangum noticed something peculiar about some of the chimpanzees in the park. Some of the chimpanzees would occasionally partake in the consumption of leaves from a particular plant, the Aspilia flower. The flower is from the daisy family, often called a wild sunflower, the leaves of which hold little to no nutritional value. And when the chimpanzees would eat it, they would do it alone, without sharing with other members of their group, and they would make ridiculous, disgusted chimpanzee faces. Nice. <laughs> okay, so? Rangum was obviously intrigued by this, and he and his fellow researchers bounced around some ideas but never published anything or performed any further studies, at least not that I could find. Rangum's got a number of, of publications and books that he's written, but nothing really further into this. It wasn't until 1996 that an American biologist, Michael Huffman, observed similar behavior in chimps at Kyoto University at Japan. A chimpanzee with a mild case of intestinal parasites was constipated and clearly experiencing some discomfort. Huffman observed the chimpanzee eat, without chewing, the stem and leaves from a bitter tasting and otherwise avoided plant. The next day, the chimpanzee's intestinal troubles were completely resolved. Mm. Huffman took his observations and noted the characteristics of the situation in which the chimpanzees were apparently self-medicating and created a set of criteria, which are now used as a standard among animal behaviorists to determine if self-medication is taking place. The criteria consists of four standards. Firstly, the plant being eaten must not be a part of the animal's normal diet, which is what the Aspelia plant and then this other plant that the Kyoto chimpanzee was eating. It wasn't part of their normal diet. Secondly, the plant must be of little to no nutritional value to the animal. Thirdly, the plant must be consumed during times of year when infections, particularly from intestinal parasites, which chimpanzees are susceptible to, are more likely to take place. In the instance of these particular parasites, it's the rainy season. Fourthly, as noted by Huffman and earlier by Rangum in the Gombe National Park, the animal must eat the plant alone and not as a part of social practice. Biologists have been able to use this criterion to record practices of self-medicating across the globe in 25 regions involving dozens of different types of plants and animals. Hmm. Researchers in the Congo, led by Barbara Fruth, no relation to Stubbins Firth, the topic of a previous episode. What a shame. I know. It's spelled differently, F-R-U-T-H, Fruth. She took the criterion and applied it to bonobos. I think I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is where we learn how the plants actually work, or at least the theories. Bonobos are the smallest of the great apes, often called pygmy chimps. They grow generally up to three feet in height and very closely resemble chimpanzees physically. I think if I've ever seen bonobos in the past, I just thought they were small chimpanzees. They look like shrunken chimpanzees. I didn't realize they were different species. Are those the ones? No, wait, those are baboons. I was thinking about, I was trying to go back to like my Sigourney Weaver, like uh, Planet Earth and like all those. Oh, I, didn't, I don't think I saw that. And David Attenborough. Bonobos look, they really look exactly like small chimps. They're not the ones that are like up in the Arctic and like bathe in like the hot springs, right? No, those are... Those the, are baboons, right? I know which ones you're talking about, but right. I can't put a name to it. Uh, whatever. Orangutans? Gibbons? I don't think those I, are orangutans. Maybe Gibbons. Gibbons are really small, I thought. I was deprived as a child, so yeah. not much animal Bonobos knowledge. Bonobos are like three feet. I don't think the listeners can see what you're doing. But I'm holding my hand out. It's approximately <laughs> three feet off the ground. Well, I brought a tape measure, so we might have to check. Uh, yeah. Okay. And now, a word from our sponsor. 
So the similarities go beyond just physical appearances. The bonobos are also incredibly intelligent and have been documented self-medicating, much like the chimpanzees. Fruth and company noticed the bonobos eating the leaves of the maniophyton fulvin plant, otherwise known as the gasso nut. Oh, what? Please repeat. I think I missed that. Oh, it's called Maniophytum fulvum. And the no, common no, name? For the other one. Otherwise known as the gasso nut. A shrub with a nut-like fruit. Who, the who, fruit, I don't, didn't name it. The who, fruit and who seeds. Who noticed this? The bonobos. The bonobos known yeah. as the gasso nut? That's what you call it. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to the store going to get some gasso nut. <laughs> Why do they got to be from Why New York? Why is it Ray Liotta? Like, they be from what? <laughs> Ray Liotta. Trichantix. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. We can't air that. This is a pharmacy podcast. We can talk about that. Yeah, you know he does the Chantix commercials, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good for him, though, if he quit smoking. Do you think he actually used Chantix? I hope it worked for him. Maybe. Like, quitting never smoking use is, Chantix. Is... I would never use Zyban strictly because Ray, Le- Ray Liotta said he used Chantix. Yeah. Maybe you should try uh, Wellbutrin. Wellbutrin? Is that the thing... Which one, which one is for smoking cessation? Like, they're the same drug. Zyban is, Zyban is indicated for smoking cessation. They're the same thing, bupropion, but different yeah. formulations for extended release. One is sustained release, it's 12 hours, so it's twice daily. Whereas right. Wellbutrin XL is, is extended is release, it's 24 hours, once yeah. daily. Okay. And it's not indicated for smoking cessation. And I don't know the reasons why. I don't know the why. Same thing with, like, Victoza and Saxenda. Only one is used for chronic weight. Well, it's because Saxenda is a higher dose. But it's the same active ingredient. It's the same active ingredient, yes, but it's a much higher dose. Huh. Are we talking like an order of magnitude or... Because I'm not familiar with sex and... We got way off topic. We were talking about... No, dude, this this is a pharmacy podcast. We can talk about whatever we want. I think it's three times. It's triple? I think it's triple the strength. Maintenance dose of sex is actually three milligrams, whereas maintenance dose of Victoza maxes out at 1.8 milligrams. So not quite double. So you said it was Saxenda and, and Victoza? Victoza, yeah. yeah. Oh, just take three three Victoza pens and just... <laughs> yeah, but it's going to cost you like three grand. <laughs> anything to get that, that. <laughs> anything to get that beach body. Does insurance even cover Saxenda? No, I, I doubt it. Sometimes. Really? I've seen it, yeah. yeah We've definitely. had to fight with people over Victoza subscri- like prescriptions. I almost said subscriptions. I know a lot of people... It might as well there. be with the amount you have to take. I know a lot of people that are on Saxenda. Like, really? Yeah. They're using that all the time now for chronic weight. All right, so, yep, sorry, we got, off, we got way off on a tangent. God bless you. Bonobo monkeys. Okay, so the gasso nut. Uh, the fruit and seeds are healthy and even popular among humans to eat, but the leaves are considered toxic I gotta and the nut, can man. cause itching and sores when in contact with the skin. Anyway, so on a Tropical Ferns website where I read about this plant, it earned an edibility rating of three bananas. No, out of how for many? Ref- out of five. For reference, bananas themselves are rated five bananas. Of course it did. I will include a link in the description. The bonobos would very carefully take the leaves of the gasso nut, layer them, layer them one on top of the other with several leaves, even folding them together, forming a tight wad. They would then hold the leaves on their tongue until they salivated, then swallow the leaves without chewing, exactly the way you swallow a pill. The bonobos were also very careful to avoid their lips, which is not a normal part of typical primate eating habits. Many primates, including chimpanzees and bonobos, have lips and mouths with much greater musculature than humans. And with this extra dexterity and tactility, they employ their lips to a greater degree when they eat than humans do. Fruth and her team would see this 
countless times while studying this phenomenon, and they ended up studying the droppings of the bonobos as well, collecting hundreds of piles of feces over the course of three years. Fruth also learned that bonobos were consuming the leaves early in the morning, typically before 7 a.m., whereas typical eating habits of bonobos does not constrain them to a particular time of day for meals like that. They can eat anywhere throughout the day between like 9 a.m. and sunset. That's like exactly like someone taking their daily pill, doing right. that daily thing right at the same time, right when you wake up just to get out of the See, way. I feel like even if they were taking medications, you know, or just, you know, plant, plants and herbs, they would do it kind of like on a PRN schedule, you know, like if I'm feeling this, I'm going to do this. Yeah, no, they took it almost, almost like it was like 80% consistency before 7 a.m. Wow. It was crazy. So let's talk about what these leaves are actually doing. Among the many species of plant, there seem to be one thing in common, trichomes. Trichomes. Yes, many, if not all, of these plants consumed medicinally by primates possess trichomes, which are small. I'm getting there. <laughs> trichomes, which are small, typically unicellular, microscopic hairs or appendages, kind of like cilia, covering the surfaces of all of these leaves, giving them the consistency of sandpaper. These plants would physically scour the intestinal walls of the primates, removing the majority of the parasites, which would get caught in the trichomes and exit stage rear. Fruits. <laughs> Fruit's fecal investigations revealed many of the leaves were undigested and covered in microscopic parasites. And in some cases, these wadded up layered leaves they were swallowing had different levels of evidence of digestion on different layers, indicating they acted like a delayed release capsule and penetrating deeper along the GI tract than just a single leaf. I looked into the potential pharmacological effect of the plants and there's some hypotheses bouncing around, but there's limited access to certain uh, less common species, whereas the evidence of trichomes was pretty consistent across the species. If you were lost in the jungle with the worst stomach ache of your life, would you think to eat sandpaper leaves? No. No. Yes. Uh, no. Gotta say, my big primate brain compared to the small primate brain would say, Eating unknown leaves is probably going to make things worse yeah. rather than better. Especially if they make your lips itchy, yeah. give you a rash. It's like a normal sign of like things you're supposed to and not supposed to eat. Like if you have like if you're questionable about a berry, I know if you rub a little bit on your lips and it has a reaction, you don't eat the berry. That's like a survival technique. But well, that's guess. that's your big primate brain trying to take over your little primate brain. Little primate brain is just like this. This sucks. Let me try something. I still have yet to find gaso I don't know what you're Googling over there. I have gas that. I'm not even going to look at that screen. I found Gas Monkey Garage. That's a good show. It was a good show. Let's plug that show. Gas Monkey Garage. Very good show. Never heard of it. They're not our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the gas nut <laughs> Got a problem with your gut? Eat the gas nut Oh! Yo. That was tight. That was good. Big primate brain came up with that one. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. And special thanks to Kelly Kerr for making our music. <laughs> <laughs>